0: I'm optimistic we can with an approach that is simpler and and more predictable for producers. I think I'm hopeful, right? That that tackles uh, some of the the those policy changes will will make the program more attractive, which ideally will bring more producers into agri stability and give them that added uh, that added protection, right?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of Fireside Chats with Aaron. I'm your host, Aaron Gowerluck. As the Executive Director of the Grain Growers of Canada, I started this podcast to serve as a forum for real conversations with industry influencers and policymakers. For grain grower members across the country, harvest is either underway or just around the corner. And for those of us here in the nation's capital, things are a little quieter since parliament rose for the summer. So we thought this would be an opportune time to sit back and take stock as we begin preparations for what is likely to be another busy fall season. So, today's episode is intended to serve as a state of the nation as far as federal agriculture policy is concerned. And there is no better person to deliver that message than Deputy Minister Chris Forbes. Chris Forbes was appointed Deputy Minister of Agriculture and Agri Food Canada in May of 2017. But prior to joining AAFC, Chris was Associate Deputy Minister of Finance Canada from November 2016 to May 2017 and the Associate Deputy Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada from 2015 to 2016. Chris was also an Assistant Deputy Minister at Environment Canada from 2013 to 2015 and worked at the Department of Finance for a decade in the areas of tax policy, social policy, and federal provincial relations. Before joining the federal government, Chris worked for the Government of the Northwest Territories and the Toronto Dominion Bank. He holds a Master's in Economics from McGill University. Deputy Forbes, thank you for stopping by for a fireside chat.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Erin. I'm looking forward to it.
1: We're moving away, I think, increasingly. I'm spending less time at the fireside now. We started this (laughs) this podcast um, when we were under lockdown, and I spent a lot of time by by the fireside. And now here we are back in our respective offices again. Is that the case for you, too?
0: I am. I'm back in the office pretty much every day of the week and uh, getting back to a little more normal uh, in terms of engagement with colleagues and stakeholders and 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 uh, and partners uh, across government.
1: Great. That's what we're hopeful for this yeah. fall. We, that we can all be back together in person again. And so that's why I thought maybe uh, with that on the horizon that we would use today's uh, conversation as an opportunity to kind of survey the landscape, if you will, reflect on the year that has passed and think about what the sector's priorities will be for this fall. I know you are someone who stakeholders meet with on a regular basis. Many of our listeners have had the opportunity certainly to, to interact with you over the last year. So I'd like to know, when you think about the conversations that you've had with stakeholders over the last year, what are the two or three issues that have largely dominated those interactions?
0: Yeah, you know, when I go back, Erin, I mean, thanks for the question. I think when i think about the last even if i go back a couple of years obviously it's been a really uh tough few years i mean you 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 talked obviously touched on the impact of the pandemic uh in terms of our in-person presence but obviously it's gone beyond that in terms of you know all the supply chain and other challenges that kind of arose during the pandemic throw on top of that the the serious drought last year in western canada it's been a pretty tough couple of years i would say in the the sector uh, has been amazing in terms of the resilience uh, collectively and individually that we've seen from from the sector. So lots of issues that have been discussed. If I think about two or three, I'd maybe start to say I think one when we're when I'm talking to and I think colleagues in the department are talking to stakeholders and we do hear, uh, I think quite regularly concerns about what I would you know lump together as a series of kind of very specific regulatory issues. Uh, and, and and market access issues um, will usually come up in discussions with stakeholders. And those, you know, the regulatory issues are, are surely known to your listeners, ranging from uh, pest management uh, issues to uh, new plant breeding techniques, Labeling issues. I mean, the the host of, of regulatory issues uh, for stakeholders and and market access issues. Obviously, uh, with countries like China, we've had uh, uh, significant challenges over the past uh, few years. So that bucket, I would say, is something that comes up in different ways with every uh, set of stakeholders. Um, you know the the supply chain issues and and those have predated the Russian uh, illegal invasion of the Ukraine, but obviously were exacerbated uh, by that. And so discussions around supply chain costs of inputs, food security. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about those things. Um, those come up a lot with stakeholders. And and then I would say probably climate change and and the associated issues. And and there I would just say I mean some of it is in response to to the government's uh, agenda people coming in with questions sharing their perspectives uh some of it's about you know the real impacts of climate change as i said the the drought and, and flood experience uh last year in western canada and, and then in bc uh uh in december and I, we'll talk about this for sure but obviously in the in the more recent term we've we've had lots of engagement uh on the uh, fertilizer uh, targets uh in specific so Yeah, you know, a a healthy dialogue on a wide range of issues, tough to come up with really two or three.
1: Well, that's part of what I love about working in this industry is there is really so much going on. There never is a dull moment, and I expect that it's going to be some very interesting conversations this fall. While you continue to reflect on the past year, I I know it's not your role to be critical of the government, but I'd like to get some of your feedback based, again, on the conversations that you've had with stakeholders thinking about the policies, programs, and announcements that have been made more recently. Where did the government get it right, in your view, based on some of the feedback that you received? And where do we have more work to do?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, look, I think um, always, you know, a little self-assessment is always good. And if I think about the, you know, agriculture and agri-food Canada and where, where we've got things right, where I feel really proud of what we've done. I mean, I'd say a few things. Uh, you know, one would be I think we did manage through the pandemic reasonably well, both in terms of continuing uh, to launch new programs to deal with some of the issues that came up. We've made some, you know, permanent adjustments to programs, new programs that were launched, and I feel that those have gone relatively well in terms of our en- engagement with stakeholders. And you know, I would include the the big uh, agri recovery, you know, BRM response. Agr insurance, agri recovery to the to the drought and the and and floods last year as a as a real, I think, success of the department working with provincial partners and with stakeholders to to kind of work through a very difficult uh, period. Obviously, you know, three weeks ago in Saskatoon, uh, we came to I think a really important success from my end, which is the you know the announcement of uh, an agreement by federal, provincial, and territorial ministers on a. On the next agricultural policy framework, the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. You know, I think new dollars, which were will be very helpful, I think, for a range of priorities, economic and environmental priorities. But also, I think just the timing, quite honestly, as an official for for best ensuring we can you know, deliver in as seamless a way as possible across agreements. So I think that that to me um, was a big success. You know, I think about things we can do better. Um, you know, for me, or or you know, you ask things where we've we've fallen down. I mean, I think for me as a as a deputy minister, it's it's you know, are we, you know, have we engaged, heard the stakeholders' concerns? Have we communicated in two ways, right, effectively? And I think there's always more we can do in terms of both listening to the concerns of producers. Uh, but also sharing perspectives on, on what we're trying to achieve. And as the agriculture deputy, it's really important for me working inside for me and and colleagues in the department to, to have a good understanding of producer perspectives um, because we are engaging with departments, you know, regulatory departments, colleagues at CFIA health Canada, environment, Canada, really important for us to have a good sense of where producers needs are at their situations. And so I always feel and you know, COVID and this virtual environment that we've, you know, this now hybrid, I guess, environment that we're working through, um, you know, has, I think, probably challenged us in terms of capacity to engage and listen. And I think that's, that's somewhere where I think we can, we can really do, uh, do more, particularly with some of the big files coming up and, and, you know, we'll talk more about those, but that to me is, uh, that's an area where we need to just keep working.
1: Thanks for that. And I would agree, we've had similar conversations with our organization internally. And I think that was Mm -hmm. largely the conversation from which our road to 2050, the sector's commitment to be net zero by 2050 was born from one of those conversations in terms of how are we as a sector going to be better positioned to have to interface with the government and bring solutions to the conversation? What is the perspective on this issue? What do you want to see in this space? We've got work to do.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, Aaron, it's a really great point you make about the road to 2050, because I think, you know, we'll talk about this in the context of fertilizers too. Like we we need to listen, right. We need to be able to listen and we need to, we need to be able to engage and there's, there's going to be tough conversations, but we all have to, you know, if I dictate or try to dictate everything, um, that's not going to be a successful outcome. I need to be able to back, back and forth, have discussions with, organizations like grain growers um right about what's the best way to get where we collectively want to go. And I think we've got a lot of bright, uh, great opportunities in the agriculture and food space. And, and so working together is how we're going to get there.
1: Excellent. So let's go back for a moment to the the FPT meeting that took place a few weeks ago now back in Saskatoon mm-hmm. the federal, provincial and territorial agriculture ministers met. For their, for their annual conversation. And you reference business risk management programs that makes up the largest uh, funding portion of the, of the, of the framework. And um, the ministers met to discuss, and I think in keeping with Minister Bebo's mandate letter, which was to, and I quote, integrate climate risk management, environmental practices and climate readiness into those programs. Uh, Minister Bibeau, along with her counterparts, agreed to attach some form of cross compliance. We're calling it that cross compliance with agri invest and agri stability in particular. So I wondered if you could tell our listeners a bit more about what that's supposed to look like.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Erin. Yeah, the BRM conversation is obviously really important. We get when I was doing my list of top three issues, I certainly could have put BRM uh, on that list because it, it's obviously been a it's a going concern for for producers. Uh, every year, right? How we can make that, that program uh better and more uh effective for, for producers. So uh you know we did get an agreement as I said on the sustainable canadian agriculture partnership. Um on BRM we there were a number of agreements and maybe I'll just walk through those a little bit and, and finish on the on the climate uh, uh linkages there but we did agree to increase the agri stability compensation rate, uh, federal government, and provinces, and territories uh, from 70% to 80%. Um, also agreed, and I think this is uh, something that will hopefully bear some really uh, good fruit, if that's the right way to put it, for agri stability in terms of working on a new agri stability model that we think will be faster, simpler, and more predictable for producers. And this has been a an ongoing issue where. We're not, it's not solved. I think we have to do some further engagement uh, with stakeholders, but I, I feel like that's got a lot of potential and and I think we'll answer a lot of concerns if we can get this right and work with producers uh, to get a, an improved agri-stability model that will get at some of the concerns we've heard repeatedly. There there was no cross compliance, as you said, uh, related to agri-stability uh, in the discussions that came out. So just to be clear on that, um, uh, that part. Um, on the go forward, um, we did agree, uh, you know, to work together on ways to integrate climate risks and readiness into BRM programs, uh, and to consult with industry. and We'd like to do that over the next year, and I, I'm sure that uh, Aaron, your organization, and others will be engaged on that. Um, and really here, you know, we're, as you say, following on the minister's mandate letter. We we are certainly wanting to make sure that while we do any of this work, we are not hampering the effectiveness of the BRM suite, right? I want to make that point. I think that's been pretty clearly told to us by our minister and by um, uh, provincial and territorial ministers. So we're looking at incentives. You know, how can producers who adopt, you know, incent producers uh, to adopt environmental practices that can reduce production risks and and help better protect them against climate risk? So that's the kind of stuff we will be looking at. Um, we did uh, announce and we'll work with provinces and, and stakeholders to bring this into effect and a change to Agri-Invest that will require uh, agri-environmental risk assessment for farms with uh allowable net sales over a million dollars. And so this is is really about just, you know, making sure the largest farms have uh have uh you know plans and work in place to assess uh some of the risks they'll face from from climate, right? And uh I think that my expectation is this is actually reflecting the reality on the ground that this is what what folks are doing. Uh They see it every day, uh, every year, right? The changing climate and the risks that's bringing. So I I expect that that change, um, uh, you know, I think that change is relatively uh, straightforward from from my standpoint.
1: Thanks. And maybe just to unpack that piece a little further with respect to agri-stability, because some of the feedback that we're getting from our members across the country is, a lack of clarity, or perhaps they're a little unsure about what type of what other forms of cross compliance may be in place with the balance of the of the suite. So, I think we're clear on what are the, what the expectations are around Agri Invest. What can they expect around other programs?
0: Going well, forward? I think this is where the discussion will come. And again, if I you know we will engage with producers, so this isn't going to be a, you know a black box exercise. And and really, it is about does the suite um, you know really ensure that, you know, we are uh, taking, you know, making the correct linkages, if you will, between climate risks and and production risks and, you know, taking into account those who are, or, you know, activities or practices that are reducing those climate risks. So, you know, whether that's, you know, via you know, uh, programs like agri-insurance, uh, how that will play out. I mean, that's what the discussion will be about over the next year, where we'll work with our prov- provincial colleagues in particular, but also, again, with stakeholders, with uh, with producers to understand, um, understand what their concerns and also where they see opportunities, right? So I think that's the goal of the work over the next year. So nothing more than what's already – I have no – to be quite direct, no, you know, no agenda there, other than to engage and 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 try to meet the the mandate commitment that the the minister, as you pointed out in your question, has been has been uh, has been given by the prime minister.
1: And so, these consultations or conversations with respect to cross compliance are, are they going to happen as part of the conversations that the government has committed to having over the next year in terms of how we're going to make programs like economic stability more, uh, you know, more efficient. Uh, are those conversations going to be one and the same?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think um, I'm not sure I've got that all mapped out for you right now. I think my, you know, the point there would be, I think it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to completely delink them obviously. um, Right. Because they're talking potentially about the, about same programs. The, the agri-stability discussion is really more about, about agri-stability itself whereas the the engagement on BRM is you know what is broader, right? So it would include the suite. So I think they are they're related but different discussions. So I'm cognizant of, you know, at the same time, you know consultation fatigue, right? Like there's only so much engagement we can do. so we have to be careful and and pick the most effective ways to to engage with with organizations and individuals, right?
1: And, and that's fair. I respect that. I'm just cognizant too of the fact that I think we have a shared goal of seeing more farmers enrolled in programs like Anchor Stability. Yeah, for sure. What impact, you know, great that we're going to look at ways to make the program more efficient um, so that we can increase enrollment, but what impact are some of these, these environmental, um, you know, yeah. the, the cross compliance, what impact could that have potentially on enrollment rates? Cause we want to see them up, go up, yeah. not yeah. down.
0: You know, and I, I would say, and it's like the, the, the enrollment challenges i think are largely with with agri stability not entirely but largely with agri stability where the enrollment rates you know have declined and uh, over years and and flattened And I, I mean we'll have to see we've we've made a number of important changes over the past couple of years you know uh getting rid of the reference margin limit uh you know the compensation rate increase like there's now the compensation rate increase, which will you know provide more uh, more support for for farmers who who trigger uh, if we can come up with a which i'm I'm optimistic we can with an approach that is simpler and and more predictable for producers. I think I'm hopeful right that that tackles uh some of the the those policy changes will will make the program more attractive, which ideally will bring more producers into agri stability and give them that added uh, that added protection, right?
1: Right. Okay. We look forward to the opportunity to engage on that important file over the coming year. I think this is a good segue to look at. Um, a handful of other issues that have been outlined in the minister's mandate letter. And I think that for many of us in Ottawa, we, tr- we try and stay on top of the progress that, um, that many of these files are making, but um, some of our listeners might, might wonder where things are at with respect to a few of these. So I thought we could breeze through mm-hmm. uh, a, few, a few of these files. Um, I'll start with the government's green agricultural plan. Um, the mandate letter outlines a commitment to increase support to farmers to develop and adopt management practices to reduce emissions store carbon in healthy soil and enhance resiliency, triple the funding for clean tech uh, on farms, including for renewable energy, precision agriculture and energy efficiency, as well as a commitment to work with farmers and stakeholders to reduce methane and fertilizer emissions in the agriculture sector. So I wondered if you could comment on some of the work that's happening in this space. And in particular, we talked about the National Fertilizer Emissions Reduction Target, maybe talk Mm -hmm. a bit about that as well.
0: Sure, sure. Thanks, Erin. So let me just walk through. I mean, some of the things that because it's there's a lot that we've we've launched or in the course of launching to um, to kind of respond to the mandate commitment. And some of it was funded in the last budget, and and some of it comes out of the the sustainable uh, ag partnership uh, agreement uh, from Saskatoon. So you know, from the partnership, we 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 will be launching you know next year as part of the the partnership uh, under the FPT umbrella. A resilient agricultural landscape program, um, which is a uh, $250 million federal provincial cost-shared uh, money, uh, which is really, uh, you know, targeted at uh, rewarding farmers for, for environmental uh, stewardship um, practices, uh, you know, maintaining grasslands and wetlands, um, which we think can have a, a significant um, GHG um, Emission reduction potential, and 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 it will be just given the nature of uh, uh, of the environment across the country, it'll it'll be uh, provincially tailored and delivered, right? So it, it won't be uh, recognizing that the circumstances in the prairies are different from eastern Canada, are different from Ontario, et cetera. You know, we're really trying to make sure it's tailored to each individual uh, province's uh, set of needs on the federal sort of only side we've 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 launched a couple of launched and expanded on a couple of uh fairly big programs and the the total investment is is over a billion and a half dollars we've in the in the spring and summer launched the on on farm climate action fund which you know there are projects across the country uh you know supporting um as the title suggests right uh it's it's delivered by by producer groups largely or or ngos uh to support practices and learnings around uh things like cover cropping and fertilizer management uh you know we we'll go through the list of projects but but there are plenty uh, across the country and and many that would implicate or have benefit for some of your members um we've also launched and now uh, tripled the agriculture clean technology program which which has both an R&D stream looking at how do we, you know, develop uh longer term, you know, you talked about the road to 2050, some of the bigger challenge pieces, like how do we, how do we move some of those needles, uh, but also an adoption, uh, stream, uh, uh, which was focused initially on, uh, uh, grain dryers, like how to get higher efficiency grain dryers, but for a range of on-farm, you know, adoption of, of cleaner technologies or, um, you know, cleaner technologies and so that that program has been been very popular and 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 we're working on on expanding that. Uh, we've also uh, got the living labs uh, under our agricultural climate solutions and and these are projects where we you know we're looking working on you know productive farms uh, to work on issues like water and soil water management, soil conservation uh, soil health, Projects in every province and and across Canada, and this is really where we're. Uh, it's not lab-based science; it's science in the field with farmers solving problems uh, uh, that they identify and that uh, we can work with them uh, uh, to find economic solutions to. So we're we're excited about that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the clean fuel regulations and that, which um, I think have been should be relatively positively received uh, the final version. I know there's been a lot of work on that over and a lot of back and forth uh with with stakeholders, but I think we've landed in a pretty in a pretty good in a pretty good place. So that's a a long list, which uh hopefully uh, is fairly comprehensive. On the if I can I'll just turn to the fertilizer um uh emissions uh reduction target and and maybe to start off and say, I mean, this was something was first announced uh, in the uh, winter of uh, fall of fall, winter of 2020. And we had a number of engagements uh, with stakeholders about how to do this, but it, it was a, the idea was a voluntary approach. We weren't looking at regulatory tools. We were looking at what were the best practices, the incentives, the tools out there to, um, to get us to a reduction target like that as part of the recognition or the the desire by the government to uh, bring overall emissions uh, down significantly by 2030 and and fertilizer emissions being you know uh, in the ag sector a, a significant uh, part of of the overall emission profile uh you know the the goal to be clear uh, up front has has is not about compromising productivity or 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 reducing production and that's certainly why we wanted to look at voluntary approaches. It, it really was about, can we identify practices and technologies that producers can use uh, to reduce emissions while still maintaining or increasing yield? We have these, you know, these kind of twin challenges out there, the the climate challenge and the food production challenge. And, you know, your road to 2050 uh, obviously is tackling that, that, you know, those challenges and opportunities, I guess uh, as well. And so I think, uh, the goal here was not ever to impose something, but was to work with stakeholders uh, to come up with, a, you know, what's the best way we can get there collectively. We, we launched a consultation paper, you know, uh, in the spring. Um, uh, it's obviously gained a fair bit of, I would say, additional profile in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we have the consultation still open. We've had about 400 or more submissions to date. Uh, and we're certainly happy to take more. We do want to hear from people, uh, you know, and I just can't underscore enough, you know, our approach is to to get the feedback and and certainly try to understand if there's a, if there are, uh, you know, what are the tools people need? What are the technologies and practices people see as promising to get us there? We talk in the consultation paper about the 4R, uh, Fertilizer Canada's 4Rs, and, and I think that in and of itself has significant potential and still a fair bit of room for further uptake. If I, if I base it on some of their surveys that I've seen on their website. So I think there's room uh, to get there, but we obviously will have to look at the feedback we get in the paper and where we see gaps in, in uh, the feedback we get from the consultation, excuse me, look at where we see gaps that need to be addressed and how, how we might get there. Um, And, and I, you know, only then could I really tell you, is this going to, you know, how close will we get? How hard will it be? Like, let's see what people say and 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 let's see what some of the options are for, for getting us close to that target. But certainly no, no mandatory anything in that right now. Right. I mean, it's certainly a discussion about how do we, how do we get there?
1: And that consultation is currently underway closing. I think it's August 30th,
0: August 30th. Yeah. End of the month. Uh, and yeah, uh, We will certainly, you know, engage after that. Like we will, we'll publish some kind of report on what we heard and summarize that. And, you know, I'll be completely frank. We'll hear some, I'm sure some supportive voices and we'll hear some, you know, questioning or critical voices and we'll find, you know, the, the balance between how, you know, how we share that. Like we will make sure we get all those perspectives out in our, what we heard report. I mean, we know some of the key questions will be around things like productivity food production. The cost of you know some some practices may not be economical. Are there ways we can make them more economical? There may be technologies that are not yet available or not widely available, right? That needs need, need uh, for the push or some incentive to get done. So we'll have to look at the combination of of uh, what we hear and and then we'll we'll, we'll figure it out and share with the sector. and And certainly, I expect further discussion on this. I don't think this issue is going to disappear, right?
1: No, and I, I think you're right in saying that it's really um, been quite, folks have been quite vocal in the, I mean, since it was first announced two years ago, but more recently in the last in the last few weeks. And I think, you know, when you talk about it being voluntary, when you talk about the, the government being open to hearing directly from producers and coming to some sort of shared objectives, all of this sounds very good, but yet you see the pushback has really been quite significant. And there's a significant amount of concern, and I would say even a level of fear And Mm -hmm. I wonder why you think that is. I wonder how much of that stems from, you know, on one hand, we're being told that we have to look to increase overall production. You look in light of what's what's happening in in the Ukraine, uh, increasing overall production and 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 the impact that a reduction on overall fertilizer use could potentially have. uh, Because ultimately, if we're going to look to reduce emissions, we're probably going to have to look to reduce use of fertilizer. And a lot of farmers think about the cost and using as as only as much as they need to and the practices they've employed on their operations over the years and what impact this this could have going forward. I just wonder if you want to comment on why why we're seeing such significant pushback and, and concern and maybe even ultimately fear from farmers across the country.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's I, I'm hesitant to speak about, you know, why other people, you know, I'm not in there in the shoes of the producers who uh, who uh are concerned or the groups who have raised concerns, but I think what you've said hits, hits the, you know, hits it fairly directly from what I understand, which would be, you know, obviously there's a strong concern um, about uh, the idea that we're pushing a, you know, a 30% reduction in fertilizer use, which means a 30% reduction in productivity or something of that, you know, people see that concern. And I, I guess my, you know so there's a there's a communication challenge i think in some cases it's been reported or discussed as a as a ban as a mandatory you know that this is kind of a european style mandatory uh you know which which it is not and so i think that i presume if i was in a producer's shoes would would raise some anxiety for me if i thought someone was going to come and uh you know force me to reduce my inputs by 30%, uh, you know, that without any kind of consultation or any, you know, options around that, I would, I would be quite worried. So I, I, I think that's, I take it face value that kind of, that's where the, the anxiety comes from. And I guess my, my counter is, I think that there are some, some options with, I think existing technologies and practices. And again, uh, you know the 4R is an example where you see that there's room to increase uptake which would would have some benefits some emissions benefits right um uh without affecting productivity i i do have uh, some faith that our you know technology uh our science uh you know these are challenges we have to try to tackle and this are not just canadian challenges they're global challenges right that we will find a way to to do this um But I mean, that we, you know, I I can't prove the future to anyone, right? And that's part of what the consultations are about is what are the opportunities? Are there options to do this? And can we find a way forward? But I I mean, I I hear the concerns about productivity. And that's, you know, why I would start with that's why certainly in this discussion, uh, you know, I want to be clear that, that this is a voluntary target. We're not mandating anything. And we're we're trying to engage with the sector to find out what the best way to get there would be.
1: And I appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted to give you an opportunity just to speak directly to some of what we're we're hearing from producers so that you could comment directly on, on some of the concern and the fear that we're that we're hearing, uh certainly from our members and 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 publicly as well. I want to stay on the topic of of inputs, um, and I want to ask you about the Pest Management Regulatory Agency, the PMRA, and their transformation agenda, as well as the related consultation that is currently underway. I believe the the consultation date by which to, to make submissions has since closed, but the conversation continues, I think, with Health Canada. A proposed set of changes were put forward by Health Canada, I think it was a couple of years ago now, back in March of 2020, those draft proposals were brought forward for consultation, and there seemed to be at the time a level of broad support, both within the agriculture industry, but I think also from other stakeholders, including the environmental NGOs, for the changes that were being proposed in that report a couple of years ago. You know, you fast forward now two years later, and the government has suggest, suggested, perhaps through through the language that they're using, that these changes are not enough and that the agency must ultimately be transformed. So while I know you're not the Deputy Minister of, of Health, um, this does touch certainly on your portfolio, given farmers' dependence on crop protection products. So I'm wondering to what extent, Deputy, you can shed some light on what's happening internally that maybe led to the change in tone over the last two years and then perhaps more importantly once this process is complete the impact that it could have on canadian farms.
0: No well, thanks Aaron and this is a you know we i mentioned at the at the beginning that certainly you know uh regulatory questions and 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 obviously pest management products are high on the list of of uh tools that producers uh, you know need access to, to, to be, be effective. And so I think this actually links quite closely to the discussion we're just having about food production. Right. And, and I'm not the deputy minister of health, as you said, so I, I can't uh, speak for him and, and I, uh, that department or, or what exactly will come out, but I, you know, they will uh, they've taken a, a broader review, but they are in the process much as, as kind of we discussed with the fertilizer consultation of reviewing the comments uh they've received you know via the consultation and from technical working group meetings etc that that we and and others have participated in and and we'll get a, a summary of what what they've heard that will come out uh this fall that will kind of summarize the discussions i think from my perspective you know what we at agriculture and agri-food canada um you know try to do in these processes is make sure that the perspectives of uh of producers are heard and understood and i think you know farmers you know been loud and clear with us about uh the tools that they need access to i mean obviously these need to be assessed you know via a credible science based process i think there's you know a universal agreement on that for for reasons of health um safety and, and obviously public trust. Um but but certainly access to these products is is really important uh for food production, right? Uh and so we keep a fairly regular communication open with Health Canada and we will throughout the, the process. And I think they've been fairly open with the sector in terms of engagement and, and uh we will continue to push for that. Recognizing that the you know having a credible uh agency like PMRA, you know, as part of the regulatory framework in Canada is is one of the reasons why, you know, we can export our food all over the world and and people have, you know, have faith in the Canadian system, right? Uh, That we produce safe, high quality food. So those discussions are ongoing and how exactly they'll land, I couldn't tell you for sure, but we will certainly, we certainly will keep, and I know PMRA will keep uh, ag stakeholders, uh, you know, closely involved in, in the discussions.
1: Super, thank you for that. You've been very generous with your time. I have two additional questions for you. I think that um, before my final question, I would I would certainly be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to ask you about Russia's war in the Ukraine and how this unfortunate situation may be informing the conversations that the Canadian government is having now about global food security, productivity, and, and trade, can you comment on that?
0: I muted myself there for a moment, sorry. Um, yeah look I think that this has been a really uh obviously a difficult uh 6 month period now a little over 6 months right 6 7 months um and uh some good news recently with uh you know some of the ships being able to leave um Odessa uh, um, um to move some some larger quantities of Ukrainian uh, grain uh out That's good news on a bunch of levels and hopefully that can continue um I think you've underscored Aaron like the 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 issues here are, you know it is a reminder of uh you know uh food security challenges across the world the the importance of Canada uh as a safe reliable supplier and a and a large supplier of food um to to global markets to feed people all around the world I mean this this crisis the last six 7 months have really underscored that point right and i think uh probably raised uh, a lot of awareness around the world uh right and in canada about the role we can play uh i think i think that's good right i mean i think it's always good when the well i shouldn't say it's good it's it is it's positive uh for the sector um that you know more canadians are uh thinking about the role the sector can play uh not only in feeding canadians which it does, but also uh in, in providing uh global food security. So, you know, I, th- I think that's a that's a a positive thing that that people are more aware of the role the sector can play. We, you know, was certainly in the department um uh and in the government uh you know thinking about ways to make sure that uh um you know we can help in Ukraine uh with things like temporary grain storage and and other tools uh, that will help. Uh, we've we've provided additional funding to the Global uh, Agricultural Market Information System, which provides you know information to countries about stocks and supplies of food and fertilizer. Um, so certainly working on that, and also on on uh, making sure that uh, production and again it goes back to our previous discussions, right? That that productivity, uh, that yield, you know, that we're doing what we can to support. Uh, growing productivity and yield in the Canadian agriculture system. So that's a that's a longer term challenge. That's not a this year challenge, but that's a longer term challenge. And and I I'll say and um, uh, we may come back to this. I don't know, but obviously one of the the big issues that we'll want to keep an eye on this year will be the Canadian harvest. You mentioned at the start it's underway in in parts of the country and starting soon in others, and and obviously they mix of, you know, we're hoping for a good harvest and then for, you know, a smooth functioning of the transportation system to get products that are destined destined for export markets to those export markets, right, in a timely timely manner. So uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that uh, going forward.
1: So while farmers are out in the field this fall, Parliament will return, I think it's on September 19th, off the top. Deputy, you talked about what you see as being the sector's priorities based on the conversations uh, that you've had with stakeholders over the last year. What I'd like to know is from the minister's perspective, what do you think her top two or three priorities are going to be returning to this fall session?
0: Well, let me tell you, yeah, I mean, what the, what I would uh, think, Aaron, as we go into the fall, as I mentioned, we'll always be kind of watching the harvest and the movement of products to port. And I, I mean, I, We'll, we we're hopeful that that will go smoothly, but obviously that's something that you know we we need to keep an eye on as the agriculture uh, department federally. So that I think it's an issue more more broadly, you know that's part of probably a broader supply chain uh, kind of you know uh, focus that I think the government and a lot of uh, businesses have, right? How do we improve uh, supply chains and 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 deal with some of these challenges that we faced over the past couple of years? Uh, our colleagues at Transport Canada have uh, had a supply chain task force um, working and and we'll see what that comes up with. but uh, I think that'll be uh, that'll be something that we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, you know on on trade uh, and market access, we obviously have a few uh, trade negotiations going on externally. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that and and obviously um, market access market development issues will always uh, will always keep us busy. Um, on labor, we haven't talked about labor, but we are uh, working on an agricultural labor strategy, um, uh, which was another part of the minister's mandate letter. I think that'll be something that we'll want to make uh, progress on via consultations and discussions with the sector uh, over the course of, of the fall. We've talked about environment and uh, the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, the, the new policy framework. There's a lot to do to make sure those are uh, those processes are, you know, signed and sealed and ready to launch next April. So the minister will, uh, and the department will be focusing on that. And, and, and we'd also discussed BRM. And I think there's, uh, there's the specifics that we talked about. Uh, I think there's a lot of work there to make sure that we deliver and and keep a, a strong uh, risk management uh, set of programs, a suite of programs for producers. And and make them better and and as you alluded to make sure that they're the programs that farmers need uh right to 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 give them the support they they need when they need it
1: pretty tough these days to narrow it down to just two or yeah, three.
0: Yeah, sorry, I didn't follow your instructions. I think that was a bit longer, eh?
1: There There's so much going on, and I expect many of these things, you know, the government has committed to having these conversations over the course of the next year, so it's going to be a very busy year, so I appreciate the opportunity uh, very much, uh, Deputy Minister Forbes, to sit down today and talk about what some of those files are that we'll be working on together. It was really a pleasure to host you on our show today.
0: Well, thanks very much, for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, it was a good discussion, some tough questions. So I hope uh, it was uh, some good answers for you and your listeners.
1: Very insightful. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Fireside Chats with Aaron. We will be back in a few weeks time with another special guest. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date on all things GGC, please follow us on Twitter at Grain Growers or on Instagram at Canada's Grain Growers. Until then.